You're listening to the North Canton Chapel Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. We're in a series called Restored. This is our second week in the series, and uh, it's a character study of the life of Paul. It's probably a little bit different series than we typically do here at the North Canton Chapel. Um, But like we said last week, there's a lot that can be learned about stories, right? We are all story people. And our life and your life tells a story. What I know about my own life is I have a better understanding when I look back and see what God was doing. Sometimes in the moment, I don't fully understand. But when I look back, I I understand how God was working to redeem and restore and to rescue me and to, again, make right the things that were broken. So this morning, the hope of this series is that we would continue to look at different facets of the Apostle Paul's life. Uh, We'll start to see that Paul's story was less about how great Paul was, but actually how good God was and how he was working throughout Paul's life. Last week, Brandon kicked off this series, and he talked about Paul as a disciple. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen or watch online, because uh, it builds the framework for where we're going to be today about the Apostle Paul. Last week, we looked around, looked about the uh, events surrounding his conversion in Acts chapter 9, when Paul met Jesus, right? Saul became Paul. Uh, he was blinded by the light, and he had this radical encounter with Jesus, And from there on out, the rest of his life changed. The way he saw himself changed. The way he interacted with people changed. And his mission changed. You see, that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at Paul, the missionary. Paul, the missionary. But this morning, I want all of us to see that the Christian life is best lived outwardly. The Christian Christian life is meant to be lived outwardly. But it is also best lived outwardly. But it's meant to be lived Outwardly, And we're going to see that through the Apostle Paul's journeys uh, throughout Eastern Europe and uh, in, in, in Asia. But before we get too far into it, let me set the stage. I believe it's important for us to have a basic understanding of mission and a basic missiology of the church. See, here at the North Canton Chapel, we talk about mission a lot. We talk about being a missionary. But are all these things the same? What do they mean? So my hope is that we would clear that up a little bit this morning. What is the mission of the church? And depending on what church context you grew up in, you probably heard different things. Maybe you grew up and uh, your church context said that the mission of the church is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, for this is the chief end of man. Others might argue that we are called to love God and love our neighbor. And that's the best description of the mission of the church. Maybe for you, growing up, it was listening to the 19th century hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. That is the mission of the church. And in a sense, we'd be foolish to argue with any of these responses. But the reality is, um, in, in uh, the mission of God, Christopher J.H. Wright writes this about the mission of the church. He says, the mission of the church is to participate in God's mission to redeem, restore, and reconcile all creation back to God. 
Rather than searching the scripture with a flashlight to find mission wherever it may be found, mission is the flashlight that illuminates and unlocks the whole narrative of scripture. You see, the reality is mission confronts us no matter what gospel account we read. We get to passages like Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and Acts 1, 8, and we are faced with this reality that, that Jesus gives us a mission. He gives his church a mission. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, known as the Great Commission, says this. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. You see, that's a great command, but also a great promise that we have from Jesus. We go on to read in Acts 1.8, and this is before Jesus ascends into heaven. He says this to his disciples and all that were there. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. But we read passages like this. Do you think that these are prescriptive for all Christians? I think so. Why? Because Christianity at its core is a missionary faith, and it was meant to be shared with others. So as followers of Jesus, right, we're, we're more than just spectators. We're participants. We're contributors. But is everyone called to be a missionary? You know, it sounds like I'm splitting words or splitting hairs when I say that. But uh, the, the words of the great Charles Spurgeon, the, the Baptist preacher and theologian, I, I love what he says here. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's a pretty strong statement. That's pretty strong language. This statement suggests that genuine saving faith naturally leads us to a missionary mindset and an active faith. It's not merely personal beliefs or attending church or, or serving, uh, but it's actively living out one's faith, proclaiming and demonstrating this good news of Jesus. This faith changes us. So the term missionary, uh, it's not one that we hear often, but in this context here, you probably hear it more so than outside of the walls of this church. Um, it's an extra biblical term, meaning it's not found in scripture. Um, however, we do see the act of commissioning and sending disciples into the world clearly, clearly taught throughout scripture. The term missionary is de derived from a Latin word called missio, which means sent. I'm going to define the term missionary today, and this is my own definition, so uh, I'm going to define it like this. A missionary is someone called by God, commissioned and sent by the local church to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to people who don't know Jesus yet. You see, we usually think of missionaries, um, those who sacrifice and, and live vocationally and go serve another culture or another people somewhere around the world. But there's usually a specific calling, some cultural and language training involved, some preparation, uh, obviously some fundraising and support. Um, people that you, you, you surround yourself with a board of advisors or a team of others that, that encourage you and support you and pray for you. I love what Elliot Clark says about this. He's a, a church planter and missionary and a contributor for the Gospel Coalition. He says, missionaries aren't self-senders just as no one is self-appointed to be a country's ambassador. He says, being a missionary assumes one is invested with the church's authority to carry out the Great Commission. So yes, we believe the church is sent into the world to witness for Jesus, to proclaim and demonstrate this good news of the gospel. 
It's also our unique central calling as believers to uh, also make much of Jesus every day to everyone. We say that here at NCC often. We have a purpose beyond the walls of this place. But we also believe that God sets apart and calls missionaries who are dedicated their life or dedicate seasons of their life to live in a different culture for the purpose of proclaiming Jesus to those that don't know him. You see, there is some overlap, but I believe there's also distinction. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus is called to live on mission, but not everyone who is a follower of Jesus is a missionary. Make sense? Pretty clear, right? Ultimately, on your way out today, I'd like for you to stop by our missions wall. Here at North Canton Chapel, we have quite a few missions partners that we pray for, uh, we financially support, and we commit to partner with them in what God is doing in and through them around the world. But if you look at the top of the wall where it says, every day to everyone, there's a verse up there, Habakkuk 2.14. It says, for the earth will be filled with the glory of the, the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. See, I believe this embodies the heart of the mission of God, that the earth would be filled with the glory of the knowledge of God as water covers the sea. Back to Christopher J.H. Wright in his book, The Mission of God. He says, it's not so much a case that God has a mission for his church in the world, as God has a church for his mission in the world. We are God's plan A for his mission in this world. So today I want us to see from Paul that the Christian life is meant to be lived outwardly. I want to start with 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. It's going to be up here on the screen. You can look in uh, your version of the Bible. Um, you, there's one in the seat back ahead of you. You can scroll there on your phone as well. And this is what I believe is Paul's missionary purpose statement if I had to summarize it in, into all the things he wrote throughout the New Testament, this is what I believe is Paul's missionary purpose statement. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 20, 23 says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. So this is... Uh, a pretty rich text from the Apostle Paul talking about this missionary mindset that he has, this cultural awareness that he has, the ability to contextualize the gospel wherever he's at, to understand, like, if you're a missionary, you have to understand how they are going to hear and receive the truth of Jesus that you are proclaiming. And we also see here his commitment to the gospel. You see, I think all of these things in this text are important for understanding the role of a missionary. So as we understand the basic missiology and uh, basic understanding of life as missionaries or life on mission, um, now let's transition into a, a few minutes where we're going to talk about Paul's missionary journeys. You see, there's a lot that is known about the Apostle Paul. All you have to do is read the New Testament. Uh, a third of the New Testament is either written by him or written about him. And in fact, 13 of the, the 27 New Testament uh, letters are, are written by the Apostle Paul. 
Paul became a leading figure in the early church and one of the greatest missionaries throughout all of Christianity. Up on the screen, there's a picture of a map, and this uh, shows us uh, really just where, where Paul's missionary journeys were, okay? Um, and each one of these colors identifies each one of these missionary journeys. So the white one is uh, the first one we're going to get into here first, uh, Paul's first missionary journey. It was the one where he traveled the least amount of miles. But Paul spent over 10 years on mission and traveled over 10,000 miles. Um, the red one we see that's not really a missionary journey, but we'll get to that here in a second. Uh, Paul ultimately ended up in Rome, not the way that he anticipated. But all these things didn't happen overnight. As you read throughout the New Testament, um, we don't see a specific timeline exactly of how all these things happened or when they happened. But we do know that God defined a call in the Apostle Paul, that he prepared him, that he commissioned him through the local church in Antioch. Last week we were in Acts chapter 9, and God clearly mapped out his calling. We see in Acts 9.15, he says this to Ananias. He says, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. So Paul spent some time there in Damascus, but what we know is he immediately began to preach the gospel. He immediately began to tell his story about what God done, had done in his life. We see Paul also address this with the Galatians in his letter to the Galatians in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach to him, preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. You see, what we see here is, is Paul's missionary work actually started with the season of preparation. Some believe that Paul spent a few years in Arabia, that God was preparing him to, to live on mission, to be a missionary. And after Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9, before he ever stepped foot out of Antioch with Barnabas, there was a season of about 10 years before that ever took place. See, initially when Paul had become converted, uh, there were people that didn't believe it was true. So they plotted to kill him. They were frustrated. They were angry with him. And um, we see in Acts 11, 25, and 26, where the apostle Paul uh, was recruited by Barnabas to come to Antioch. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they had met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Previously, up to this point, they were called disciples or followers of the way. But a few things about the church in Antioch. Antioch was a port city. It was located, to, uh, located in ancient Syria, which is modern-day Turkey. Uh, which was a diverse and cosmopolitan city with a large Jewish population. This, this church in Antioch had already been preaching the gospel, so it made it a great hub and a great sending church for Paul's missionary journeys. Which leads us to Acts 13, 1 through 3. It says, Now there were, were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So when we look at Paul as a missionary, we see uh, this model that is laid out for us in scripture. It's important for us to see this. Paul comes to faith in Jesus. He's converted. God calls him, gives him a specific burden. He prepares him. He's commissioned by the church and then sent out. See, we could take the next eight to 10 weeks and really unpack all of these missionary journeys and everything that happens in each one of them. But that's that's not really our goal this morning. My goal is to, to kind of give us an overview of, of what God was doing in and through the life of the Apostle Paul. And uh, we'll see his steps of obedience along the way and help draw out some truths that we can apply to our life today. So let me take the next few moments and kind of give us a, a brief summary of these missionary journeys. So if we could throw that map back up there. Um, we see Paul's first missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts 13 and Acts 14. And scholars believe that this happened somewhere around A.D. 46, 47. Um, and, and like I said, this was the, the, the white line out from Antioch and uh, the least amount of miles traveled of any one of Paul's journeys. And I feel like even in that, God was using that season to prepare him for all the things he would do in and through him in the days ahead. So Paul and Barnabas left Antioch. They traveled to Cyprus, which is actually where Barnabas was from. Uh, they faced some opposition. They first preached to the Jews in the synagogues, but they, uh, they were kind of rejecting that. But God opened up a door of faith for the Gentiles. Many Gentiles came to faith in Jesus. Many Greeks came to faith in Jesus. They preached and they established churches in various cities in Asia Minor. Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe were some of the key cities there. Paul and Barnabas, again, they faced many challenges. Uh, what happened to Paul in Lystra was he was stoned and drug out of the city and left for dead. When you think about our own faith and the opposition and the persecution that we face, chances are it's not anything like the Apostle Paul faced uh, in that day. So we also see a pattern of Paul's first journey. There was preaching of the gospel and then there was persecution. They established churches and then they followed it up by encouraging and edifying those churches. After his first missionary journey, they go back to the church in Antioch and report back to the church of saying, here's all that God did in and through us. You see, from there, it wasn't long before questions started to arise that these Gentile believers were coming to faith. And as Brandon talked about last week, like there was some, the, some Old Testament law, some Mosaic law and restrictions about, hey, to be a follower of Jesus, you, you, needed to be, you need to be circumcised according to the Old Testament law. And in Acts 15, we see the Jerusalem Council. And this is really a pivotal moment uh, in the book of Acts because what it, what it allowed to happen was this council that got together to meet, to, to say, you know what, um, the conclusion that we're coming to is really a compromise. You know, we, we, we will allow the Gentiles to be a part of the church as long as they are um, followers of Jesus. We're not going to make any additions to the gospel, that Jesus was enough, that they didn't have to be circumcised to be saved. So this was a pivotal moment in the life of the church. You see, in this, this Jerusalem council, the, the goal was unity. Uh, but after this, it actually made things a little bit more challenging for the Apostle Paul. Scholars believe that there was probably two years before the, by the end of uh, the first journey to the beginning of the second missionary journey. 
So Paul's second missionary journey, fast forward a little bit, you can read that in Acts 15 through Acts 18, 22. Uh, many scholars believe that this happened around 49 to 52 AD. And this journey begins with a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over Barnabas's cousin, John Mark. You probably remember this story if you've read through Acts. So sometime in the, the first journey, John Mark left and he left them. And uh, so Paul gets, gets ready to go on this second journey and Barnabas is like, hey, we're bringing my cousin, right? And he's like, no, not happening. Not happening this time. We don't know exactly why, but it's possible that the, the challenges that they faced, that John Mark opted out and said, no, I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with this. But see, God actually used that to further the gospel in a different way. Barnabas and John Mark left, and Paul and Silas and Timothy were able to, to, to team up and travel to different parts of Asia, to where now the gospel was, was even uh, expanding in greater ways. Paul travels through parts of Asia Minor to Macedonia to Greece in hopes of revisiting some of the churches that they planted on their first journey. But one of the highlights of this journey, the second journey, um, Paul and his team had plans to head west. And Paul gets this vision from God. You know, the, the Spirit of the Lord like, gives him this burden saying, there, there's a man that needs your help in Macedonia. Acts chapter 16, known as the Macedonian call, Paul is redirected um, and, and heads out a different way. It could have been because God was protecting them from what they would have done on their own. But God redirected their focus and they go to Philippi. There we see Paul share the gospel with a, a wealthy merchant woman named Lydia and her household. They all come to faith in Jesus. Uh, they share the gospel with this demon-possessed girl. They cast out this demon and also with the Philippian jailer. And the foundation of the church in Philippi um, was a great church for, for, for Paul, both financially and spiritually able to support Paul on his missions. But they faced conflict. They faced persecution. They were, they were thrown in prison. Many of you guys remember the story. Paul and Silas thrown in prison. Earthquake happens. They're singing. They're worshiping. And God does something miraculous through them that the Philippian jailer comes to faith. So the foundation of the church in Philippi is something that God was doing through Paul's team uh, that God did in a miraculous way of building the church there. You see, Paul, Paul built some lasting relationships on this journey. He established and encouraged key churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. Which then leads us now to Paul's third journey. If you're keeping up, take a deep breath, go home and read the book of Acts. It is like drinking from a fire hose. So on Paul's third missionary journey, you can read this in Acts 18 through Acts 21. Uh, many believe that this was around 53 to 57 A.D., after a brief stay in Antioch, Paul then sets out on this third journey where he strengthens churches uh, that he had been a part of. He goes to areas in Galatia. He, they tackle theological issues. They focus on the church in Ephesus. He stays there for probably about three years. And again, revisiting some of the established churches. He was also able to, to deal with some of the conflict that was happening in the church in Corinth. Uh, if you read uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, there was some division there. So Paul was able to address this and work through some of that as well. Paul continued then through Macedonia and Greece, receiving warnings uh, about his impending arrest when he came back to Jerusalem. But that didn't stop him. I think many of us, like if, if we knew something, the outcome was not going to be great for us, sometimes we give up along the way. 
Paul's getting warnings about, hey, when you come back to Jerusalem, you're going to be arrested. He was able to continue to, to, to remain steadfast and committed to God's mission. When he got back to Jerusalem from this journey, uh, it was probably with mixed emotions. You know, he knew he wanted to go to Rome, uh, but he knew his chains were waiting for him. Paul was arrested and uh, arrested for allegedly bringing a Gentile into a part of the temple that, that he wasn't supposed to. Paul appealed to the council before Jerusalem, uh, but because of his birth, he could play the Roman citizen card. And uh, he exercised his right to say, you know, I want to appeal before Caesar. They ended up shipping him out to Caesarea Maritime for, for about two years where he was in prison. And then Paul sets out on this journey um, where he was in prison and then he was voyaging to Rome, shipwrecked on the island of Malta, and God miraculously saves his life in Acts 27. So Paul goes to Rome, but it's not the way that he initially wanted to go. He goes as a prisoner. But because Paul was a Roman citizen, um, his time in Rome was fruitful. He was under house arrest. He had more privileges than, than other prisoners that would have had at that time. He was anticipating his release, but he was using that time to preach the gospel, to teach others, and to write to some of the churches. You read throughout the New Testament these prison epistles that Paul writes while in Rome. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are some of Paul's greatest works while in the midst of, of, of facing adversity. So what does all of this mean for us? You know, when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I think sometimes we disconnect ourselves from the Apostle Paul and say, wow, that's great. He traveled a lot. He was persecuted. But that was thousands of years ago. And that was halfway around the world. And I could never do that today. You see, we think of Paul and other missionaries as superheroes or superhuman or just the religious elite. But in fact, the reality is Paul was transformed by the gospel. And because of that, it, it compelled him to live differently every day. And it started right where he was at. Some of the things we learn about Paul's journeys is that God's plan is not always our plan. That God is always at work, even in the face of adversity. And that we can trust God no matter what. See, I love the fact that when Paul faced these challenges, that he sacrificed much his, his posture, we read from Philippians 3 this morning before the, the, the time opened this morning. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So obviously the things that we take away, um, Paul was able to persevere in the midst of adversity. It was what God was doing in and through him. Paul recognized his role and the part that he played as, as the church. You see, God doesn't have a mission for his church, but he has a church for his mission. And as a reminder this morning, the church is meant to be lived, um, or the Christian life is meant to be lived outwardly. You see, I, I think back for me, about 10 years ago, there's this paradigm shift uh, for, for my family. And um, I, I love telling this story, but I also love reminding myself of this story because it, it helps fuel my day-to-day even now, to remember that God did something in me. I stepped out in faith, and he's continuing to do that work in me. You see, God started something in me 10 years ago that I believe he's still working in me, um, shifting my paradigm. So 10 years ago, I was a student pastor at a church about an hour north of here, and um, things were going really good. 
we were focused on parents and students and the mission that God had put around us. And one day, my five-year-old, who is now 15 years old, uh, she came home from church from Sunday school. And some of you, I've told you this story. And uh, I'm like, Leanne, what did you learn this morning in Sunday school? She's like, Dad, I learned that we're supposed to love our neighbors. How come we don't know our neighbors? And it was like this reality check, this gut check of, here I am focused on the mission around me that I made excuses that God called me to student ministry and families and focus in on the world that, uh, that he had called me to. And here I was discounting those that God put right next door to me. So like any good introvert, right? My wife and I both were like, okay, let's, yeah, we've lived here four and a half years. How awkward is that going to be if we go next door and meet our neighbors? So Leanne began to bug us and bug us and like, dad, when are we going next door? When are we going next door? She didn't know our neighbors. She wanted us to know our neighbors. And for about two weeks, we, we mustered up enough excuses that we could try to come up with and realize, like, it's, it's, this is not going to work. All right, Kara, you're going to have to make some cookies because nothing spells awkward any more than, hey, we've lived here for almost five years, and uh, here's some cookies. But uh, we went next door, and uh, we finally got the boldness and the confidence to go next door and knock on the door. We met Gary and Dana. And let me just fast forward a little bit into this story. I can't tell you all the things that happened and all the conversations that had had. Um, but what we started to learn about Gary and Dana is that they were never able to have children of their own. That Gary and Dana had been foster parents for 20 years. Here I am as a pastor, living next door, like compartmentalizing my life, making excuses about why I can't go talk to my next door neighbor. And here's somebody next door living that I don't even know if they're a follower of Jesus, living like compelled and having compassion and love for people, that, children that were not their own. And it was like this huge wake up call for me. Like, who am I that I make excuses? I can't even go next door and, and become a friend. Well, from there on, like God started this shift Right? We, we began to, to meet Gary and Dana. God started to stir within our family. Um, he began to open up an opportunity for us to come here to the North Canton Chapel. And in August of 2014, we joined what was called a residency program. Some of you were here at the time. That was over nine years ago. And what we wanted to do was step out in faith to become learners. What does it look like for us to live on mission, to love our neighbors? Like this whole idea of church, was more than Sundays and Wednesdays. And what God was doing in me and in my wife and in our kiddos was like, this is something that we need to continue to cultivate every day. God started opening my eyes to this reality that ministry was, at, at that point, was my job. But he was starting to help me understand that ministry was about my life rather than it being my job. So this opportunity here at the North Canton Chapel, we moved into a neighborhood. We began to meet people. Uh, we tried to not lead in with like, hey, I'm a pastor, like, because that's usually really awkward and uh, really puts up a wall uh, immediately. But we began to meet people where they were at. We began to love people. And we've, I can't tell you all the stories of how God has blessed us and enriched us in so many ways. And some of my closest and dearest friends right now live in proximity in my neighborhood. It is so, it's so amazing to look back and see what God has done in and through me just by a simple act of obedience and, and God stirring my daughter's heart to, to poke us and say, Dad, let's do this, let's do this. But maybe that's you this morning. 
Maybe you're sitting here asking, saying, you know what, how do I engage with people? Because really, the cultural climate of our day, people have their minds made up. They really don't want to talk to you. They don't really want to hear anything about faith. They don't want to hear anything about Jesus. They really don't want to hear anything about what I have to say. I mean, we put these, these signs up in our yard. We build walls. We, we insulate ourselves. People don't want to hear from me. How do we do this in this day and age? How do we live on mission? Well, I believe there are some practical steps this morning that we all can take away, not just from the, the Apostle Paul's life, but the places where you live, work, and play. We can all live on mission. You see, Michael Frost in his book, Surprise the World, he gives us five habits of highly missional people. And this is not like rocket science. This is like just tangible ways that we can be intentional in, in the places that God puts us. And that's what living on mission looks like, just being intentional where the places God puts you. He spills, spells out this acronym, BELLS. And if it's easier for you to understand that and remember it, um, it follows that, that pattern. But this is the framework. These five habits or practices allow us uh, some tangible ways to, to step into mission. The first one is BLESS. BLESS. This habit involves intentionally blessing people in our community. Not kind of a bait and switch, like I'm going to bless you so that you'll hear what I have to say, but just naturally blessing people as a source of encouragement and kindness and goodwill to other people. The next habit is eat, right? We all eat meals every day. Uh, Brummy talks about it here. We need bigger tables. Um, this idea of sharing meals together is, is really a powerful way to build relationships with other people on a deeper level. Eat. So the next one is listen, right? We, we read in James 1.19 that we're to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But a tangible way that we can live on mission is to listen. You see, this is a vital skill um, that if we genuinely listen to the concerns of other people, we'll understand what they're going through. We'll understand their story. We'll begin to show empathy uh, for things that they care about. And we're gonna ab we'll be able to share our story in those spaces as well, too. Which leads me to the next one, learn. This builds off of this idea of listening. This is really all about cultural awareness. The more that you listen, the more that you learn. Uh, it really helps us to grow in understanding the opportunities that God has put around us. See, I like when Pastor Brandon talks about mission and living on mission. He says it like this. If you want to lead them, you need to learn them. If you want to learn them, you need to love them. If you want to love them, you need to serve them. So there's this progression. Lead them, learn them, love them, serve them. And the last one we see here is sent. So the S stands for sent. Ultimately, for us to have influence and intentionality wherever we go, we are to adopt this identity to live sent, to live on mission. Like I said earlier, all of us can't be a missionary that we sacrifice and give up everything and go somewhere around the world. But we can start to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel that we all have a part to play. See, I believe living sent looks like embracing our identity as a missionary. I believe it, it looks like committing to pray daily uh, for someone in your circle. These things should also be up on the screen too. You can follow along on these. Embrace your identity as a missionary. Commit to pray daily for someone in your circle. The next one, we can take the long-term approach. We build relationships with people outside of our circles. 
Like I said, we, we like our comfort zones, but getting outside of our comfort zones is what God is actually calling us to. That last one, stepping out of your comfort zone. Tell stories, be authentic, be you. I say it to people often around here, those of you who know me well, like, I'm awkward, and that's okay. I think the more that I've grown up and matured in that, like, I just embrace that. And uh, those of you who interact with me, you're like, wow, that was awkward, and I'll affirm that. That is awkward. But embrace who you are. Embrace who God's called you to be. Because if we're all honest, we all have some weird and awkward in us, right? See, my hope is that this morning, that as we look to what Jesus has done in our lives of rescuing us, saving us from our brokenness, that it also compels us to understand our role in God's mission, to make much of Jesus every day to everyone, that we all have a part to play in that, that when you leave the walls of this building, um, like the church that I grew up in, they had a, a banner over the door as you left. It says, you are now entering the mission field. I think if we started to see ourselves through that lens, living on mission, and we started to simplify, like, all I have to do is have conversations and tell the story of what Jesus has done in me. I think we'll begin to understand that God is the one who transforms people. He transforms communities. He transforms schools. He transforms workplaces because of your faithfulness to the things that he's called you to. You see, God's mission is not just for a select few, but for all of us in here. God calls us to mission. We are called to be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So hopefully as we leave today, we reflect on that truth, that intentionally living on mission looks like today, just saying yes to Jesus, like whatever you put in front of me, I'm going to obey what you call me to do. Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's inviting somebody over. Maybe it's just praying for somebody uh, who is in your world that you know they're struggling you hold the hope of the gospel because of what Jesus has done in you. And if we're honest, there's people outside the walls of this, this, this building, and even in here, that's what they're looking for. As much as we want to build walls around our lives, we're all looking for that hope. We can share that with others today. Let me pray, and we'll close our time this morning. Father, we're so grateful that we can look to your word Father, as we look at the Apostle Paul's life and we reflect on just all the work that you did in him and through him, Father, we're reminded that this Christian life is not just for the select few. Father, it's easier if we leave that up to other people. But God, you have uniquely called us to someone or something or somewhere Father, find us faithful in that this week. Father, I think of the things going on even in our world today, in Israel. Father, I pray that you would strengthen the church, that you would call us to a greater sense of urgency here in our neighborhoods because the time is short. Father, you have called us to live obedient lives. Help us to make much of you. Father, as we continue in worship this morning, would you just be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, 
please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at nchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.